Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from a special guest. Amen. How y'all doing this morning? Good. What was that? How y'all doing this morning? Amen. Those of you online, y'all more excited about this than they are. So appreciate y'all watching. Hey, uh, I'm excited about next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Uh, I'm, for those of y'all don't know, I'm an evangelist. I'm on the road all the time and stuff. And so uh, what's good is I'm preaching in Alvord this next Sunday because, you know, Easter Sunday is like Super Bowl Sunday for preachers. And we get fired up about it. And so um, I'm preaching on Sunday. But the cool thing is, is, you know, our church, we're having two Easter services next Saturday. So I get to bring my family next Saturday. Uh, we get to come to church, celebrate Easter with y'all. Then I get to go start a revival over in Alvord. So I'm fired up about it. Bring your family, bring your friends next Sunday. If you can, make it to the Saturday services. Free up more space in here. Uh, it's going to be awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14, if you open your Bible, the very first page, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. That's where it is, fourth book in the Bible. Uh, while you're turning there, um, about two weeks ago, our son's girlfriend called us and said, hey, I want to do a promposal for Jake. And I was wondering at your place, and I was wondering if, you know, y'all help me do that. And we said, we'd love to do that. So uh, my wife took our son, Jake, to go get us some food for dinner, you know, and to get him out of the house. And so while he was gone, right when they pulled out of the drive minutes later, his girlfriend, Kenzie, and her mom and dad and brother show up at our place. And Kenzie had six posters with gifts, and she put them from our house, a poster every, you know, so 20 yards or 30 yards, all the way up to the barn where she was going to be in the barn hiding, and then she would do the proposal for Jake. So I'm getting fired up. I'm getting excited about it because I know he's going to be fired up about it. So uh, they come back with the food. When they come in, as soon as Jake gets in the house, and he's a teenager, 18 years old. You know how they are. And uh, so he gets in the house. So as the first thing he starts doing, I said, hey, we need to uh, go to the barn and feed the horses, quote, unquote, feed the horses. We, we really didn't need to feed the horses at the time. There wasn't no rush. You know, normally there's no rush in feeding our horses. We feed them about the same time every day. But I was like, we need to go feed the horses. And um, he's like, okay, Dad. So he starts, you know, in the slow mode. He's getting something out of the refrigerator, something to drink, a snack. He's looking at his phone. You know how teenagers are. Always look at the phone and doing that. And so he's just dragging and stuff. And so I kind of like amp it up a little bit. I'm like, hey, we, we need to go feed now. And the reason I'm kind of amping it up is because I know she's been hiding out in the barn. And her parents and brother has been ducking behind a bush for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> so we got to get this show on the road, you know. And so I'm like, hey, big boy, let's go. We need to move. Get your stuff on. Let's go to the barn. And so he gets a little attitude and a little barking back, you know. And so I get a little attitude back. And so we're doing all that back and forth. And so finally he gets his stuff on and we go out towards the barn. As we're walking out towards the barn, first poster right there by the first bush, out pops Kenzie's parents and her brother. And with the, with the gift that's sitting there and the poster and stuff, all of a sudden my son's demeanor immediately changed. He goes from a grumpy son to a happy camper. And then with each poster and with each gift leading up to the barn, his attitude gets better and better and better. Until finally he goes in the barn and Kenzie 
ask him to her prom? And he says, yes. Now, here's the deal. Now, by the way, I got permission to tell that story. So here's the thing. This is like a small illustration between a father and son, a relationship that I know more than my son. I had more information than he did about this event. And I knew if he would just obey me and do what I'm asking, I know what's waiting for him in the barn. And it's going to be for his good, and he's going to love it. He just needs to obey and get on with it whether he wants to or not. And, you know, here's the thing. It's a lot like our Heavenly Father, except the difference is our Heavenly Father's perfect. Earthly fathers like me, we mess up. We're not perfect. We get attitudes and all that kind of stuff. Can I get an amen on that deal? Yeah, teenagers, they're not in here amen because they're not. So I think they're in the other service. So but, but we get those attitudes and stuff, and, but, but God doesn't. God's perfect. And God created us for a relationship with him. He has a purpose and plan for us for our good, not for our harm. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the question I think that we all have to answer today is, is God good? Is God going to be good to me? Is, can I trust God with my life? That's the question everybody has to answer. Because I'm going to tell you this. How you answer that question will affect every area of your life. And not only every area of your life, but the people that you love and are close to you and even your own kids. Now, that picks us up with a story. Where, where does this story begin? We're going to read in Numbers 14, but this story actually starts in Genesis. It starts in Genesis chapter 17 when God gave Abraham a promise. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And now I'm not going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you so many descendants that nobody can count. Them. There's going to be so many. And I'm going to give you the land in Canaan. Okay? And so that's what happened. So then Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they end up in Egypt because of a famine in the land. So they're in Egypt, and they're there for 430 years. And what happens is at the very beginning, they increase. God made his promise come true. They increased to so many descendants, nobody can count them. They got so big, the pharaohs were like, they're freaking out. They're like, hey, we're going to get outnumbered. So when the women started having their babies, they started killing them off as soon as they were born because they didn't want to get outnumbered. And they treat them like slaves. They, put, they made them do hard labor work and stuff. So they did all the stuff. And, put, and so Israel's crying out to God. After 430 years, God save us. God rescue us out of this. So God came to Moses in Exodus and said, hey, Moses, I'm going to deliver my people. I've heard the cry. Go down there and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, hey, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, hey, I don't know your God. I don't know what you're talking about. We got a bunch of gods in here, you know, so I don't know what you're talking about. So God sent 10 plagues that totally devastated Egypt to prove it was in the face of their gods saying, no, I am the living God. I am the all-powerful. And so then Pharaoh's like, hey, get the heck out of here, man. We don't want you in our country. So he sends them out. Then as soon as he sends them out, he's like, change his mind. No, I didn't mean that. I was just playing. Y'all get back in here. So he sends his Egyptian army after him. So he goes after him, hot on the trail. So Israelites had the Red Sea. And then the Egyptians on the backside. So God parts the Red Sea. They cross over. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites cross over to the other side. As soon as they get to the other side, Egyptians' army, they're hot on their tail, get in the middle of the bed of the Red Sea. God pours it back down on them, floods all of them. They all die. He kills the entire Egyptian army. Now, 
After that, God provides for them food every day. In the wilderness, in the desert, food, water, guides them, leads them up to the Jordan River, okay? He gets them up to the Jordan River. He says, hey, that's the land that I promised you, hence the promised land. He said, that's the land I gave you. Now go attack, go get them. He said, matter of fact, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to send some scouts to go check out the land. So they got 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel. They go scout out the land for 40 days, 40 days. They come back. They said, hey, it's just like God said. So here's what we're going to do. But the people are huge. There's no way we can defeat them. They're giants. We will get our tails kicked. Okay? That's what happened. So this brings us to the story. Numbers chapter 14. All please stand in honor reading of God's word if you don't mind. Numbers 14. After they've heard this report of how big these people are, they're giants. There's no way we can defeat them. Verse 1. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried out all night, and their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even in here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord God taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, hey, let's choose a new leader, and let's go back to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless and anoint your word, and please, God, don't let this happen to us. God, speak to us. Draw us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What is the point of this whole story? The point of this story is this. Believe God. Believe God. They didn't believe God. Here's the bottom line. They didn't think God was big enough, capable enough, powerful enough to deliver them, to deliver the, the, the Canaanites and all of them into, into their hands. They think, no, there's no way God could pull this off. They didn't believe God. And I'm going to tell you this. When you have a little bitty God, you have huge problems. But when you have a huge God, you have little bitty problems. And some of you are going, how in the world could they do that? What, what were they thinking? I mean, God just, they were on a roll. God delivered them out of Egypt. They prayed and asked God to deliver them from that horrible, you know, Egypt and stuff. God delivered them. Did all these incredible works and powers among them. They saw it. Provided for them. Food, water, everything. Why would they be freaking out? Hey, uh, don't we do the same thing? I know I do. Anybody here ever lack some faith? Here it is. They're right there. God says, go get your promised land. And then they start freaking out. Listen, you want a spiritual check to see if you're falling into the same trap as Israel of not believing God? Because here's the deal. Here's what happens when you don't believe God. They didn't believe him, and it produced fear. See, here's a spiritual check. Just check your tithing out. You go, oh, great, here we go again. Talking about money. That's what I thought. Going to come here and going to talk about money. This isn't a tithing message, okay? This is not about money. This is just an easy example to explain this, okay? Because here's what happens. When you don't believe God, it produces fear in your life, okay? And so there's many of you here today, you don't believe, you don't believe God about your finances, so you're afraid. 
You're afraid because you don't think God is big enough to do what he says and give 10% off the top to God. And so you think there's no way he can take care of us or our family. So then you end up stealing from God and you end up cheating you and your family out of all the promises and blessings that he has for you. Because you bottom line is you don't believe him. Because that ends up producing fear in you. Say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Well, not only if you don't believe God does it produce fear in your life. Let me tell you what else it does. It leads to disobedience. Um, they said point blank. Uh, no, we're not going to go to the land. We don't care what God says. Those people are big. We, we are not going to go to the promised land. Not, not going to happen. And this is after a promise that God had given them over hundreds of years that he had promised them this land. And they're like, no, we're not going to do it. Because here's what happens. Unbelief produces fear. And it produces then stress and worry and anxiety. And here's what ends up happening. When you have this fear, you end up, it affects your behavior. See, because you act out what you believe about God. Did you get that? You act out what you believe about God. So, I'll show you another example of this. Do we have any singles in the house today? Any singles? Got some for you back here, over here? Got some more singles? Anybody? We only had two in the first service. We introduced them right after church was over with. So if you're... <laughs> no joke, we did. <laughs> so, if you're a single, I'll just show you an example. If you're single and you believe God doesn't care about me, God doesn't care about my loneliness, that I'm single, He doesn't care about me. And so, you know, I, I know all the people that I work with, or I know all the people I go to school with. And let's just face it, there's no prospects. No prospects in my whole world here. None. None that I would even date. So because I don't believe God's big enough to take care of this situation, I'm going to take it into my own hands. And I'm going to date people. I don't care if they're a Christian or not. I'm just going to just date anybody. And so what you end up doing is you start acting out what you believe about God. You don't think he's big enough to take care of you. So you start dating non-believers. You end up marrying a non-believer. And then as a result of that, you end up out of church, out of fellowship with God, uh, living a, a, a lifestyle that's miserable, kids that don't know Jesus. You end up in a divorce. You say, well, how is that? Because stats say the best chance of you staying married are with two people who love Jesus. That's what the stats say. So you don't like what the Bible says? Deal with the stats. Okay? So you act out what you believe about God. You don't think God's big enough, so then I'm going to take it in my own hands. I'm going to do it myself. Hey, guess what? God is big enough. All right? I'm going to tell you this. I did not get married until I was 33 years of age. Yes, deal with that. <laughs> so you people that are like 14 and you're like, oh, I don't have a little boyfriend. Please. <laughs> no sympathy whatsoever. Hey, but my single friends that are up in the late 20s, early 30s, you need somebody to pray for you? I understand. Come on. I'll, I'll pray for you after service for, for God to send somebody to you. But you're 14, I ain't praying for you. <laughs> not, not, not praying. You just deal with it. But, but, but here's the thing. God will provide. And God's big enough. And I'm going to tell you what he did for me. God took me from Texas, my wife's from Florida, and we met in Ohio. Don't tell me God can't do something. All right, God can do whatever he wants to. And guess what? It wasn't just like, oh, I just took the first woman out, you know, there's a, on the single train that's ready to get married. No. 
I had a list three pages long of what I wanted in a wife, and God met every single thing I was praying for. God is good. Just telling you. All right, he's big enough. But when we don't believe him, at least disobedience. So what happens? Here's the funny thing about this real quick. Those 12 scouts that went in checking out the land, 12 of them for 40 days. Guess what? They all saw the same thing. They saw the same land, had the same information, saw the same people. And guess what? Ten of them came back shaking in their boots. Two of them said, let's go get that land. God has given it to us. Two totally different perspectives from everybody else. Why is that? Because those two men walked with God. They knew God. They loved God. And when that happens, it changes your perspective. So what happens after this? These people ready to stone them, kill them? So God shows up. I'm going to tell you something. I think this might be the only time in the Bible when you don't want God to show up. Think about this. If you're not living right with God right now, you really want God to show up in this service this morning? You think that's going to be an easy conversation? I'm going to tell you, some of y'all be like, no, I'll be high telling it out of here. God showed up. Well, he shows up. Verse 10. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb, the two men that said, hey, no, God will give us that land. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? They never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done for the, among them. I will disown them, destroy them with a plague, and then I will make you into a great nation, a, a greater nation and mightier than they are. You see, there are consequences to disobeying God and not believing God. I'm going to tell you this right here. God was angry. I'm going to tell you how angry. God was angry enough. I mean, like, I'm going to flood the world type of angry. Except this anger, this time, it wasn't to the whole world. He was angry at his own people. And, and, and what, what gets God this angry? What, what makes him like this? What did what, what he do? God said, hey, they don't believe me or who I am. I, I have done, they cried out to me, asked me to, to rescue them. I have answered their prayer. I delivered them. I, got, I performed miraculous works and wonders and miracles. They saw it with their own eyes. They have heard my voice from heaven. I've done all this stuff. And not only that, I killed all the Egyptians, and they didn't fire one single arrow. Not one Israelite had to swing one sword. Didn't have to lift a finger. I did it all. And then now they're going to say, oh, we don't want nothing to do with you? Now they're going to say, we don't like your plan? Please. God, he is angry. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So God's angry. I mean, I'm talking about like I'm going to annihilate you angry. And what does Moses do? Moses falls on his face. He cries out to God. God, please don't wipe these people out. For your glory, for your name alone. Not because these people are good. Not because they deserve God. For your glory. Please don't wipe them out. He interceded for them. Hey, let me ask you something, Christians. When's the last time you did that for a family or friend, or family member or friend? When's the last time you fell on your face and you cried out to God, please save them, please, please rescue them, God? Moses did. I'm going to tell you something. There were several instances 
that God would have wiped the Israelites off the planet had not Moses stood in the gap for them. We need to intercede more for our family and our friends. So what takes place? Well, God pronounces judgment on them because your sin has consequences. And here's what happened. Verse 2, they said, uh, well, if we only die in the wilderness. Remember that? When they said, if we just die in the wilderness. God said, okay, you want some of that? Okay, big boy. Verse 29, you will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older, who is included in the restoration, will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. He said, okay, you want some of that wilderness? There you go. You want to die? There it is. As a matter of fact, he goes on and says this. In verse 25, he says, now turn around. He says, and don't go toward the land where the Amalekites and Canaanites live. In other words, don't go to the promised land. Turn around. Go back. He said, you go back in the wilderness. Tomorrow, you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. He said, y'all wanted some of that Egypt? Y'all wanted some of that wilderness? All right, get on back there. Get on back to where you wanted to go. He said, hey, I have you some of that wilderness. And not only that, he said, because your men explored the land for 40 days. You remember they scouted out for 40 days? He said, uh, you will, must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A year for each day. Suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it's like to have an enemy, have me for an enemy. Oh, and by the way, uh, the ten spies that tried to convince the people not to obey God, uh, they died on the spot. God pronounced, hey, your sin has consequences, and it will affect you. He said, Ronnie, you know, uh, it's a good thing. We're, that's the Old Testament, you know, because we're in the New Testament now. God, God had promised me any land. God, God didn't promise me to give me any land, so this stuff right here, it don't, it don't apply to me. It's not going to affect me. You, you want another illustration about this? How about Psalms 51, when King David had slept with Bathsheba, committed adultery, all right? Then, because he did it, got caught, he had her husband killed so he could marry her, all right? So what happens after he got caught and all this stuff, this sin that he committed? This is King David, Psalms 51, verse 3. He says, for I will recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. This is a guy who's king over Israel, can do whatever he wants to, and he said his sin haunts him. Then he says this, verse 8, Oh, give me back the joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Verse 9, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 11, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David was broken. He had no joy. It, his sin haunted him. Your sin will affect you. Whether you like it or not. But not only will it affect you, it'll affect the people you love. It'll affect your kids. You say, how is that? Well, you say the, the kids got to go to the promised land. Well, what, what happened? Verse 31. God said, you said your children would be carried off as plunder. That was one of the excuses why they didn't want to go to the promised land. He said, well, I'll bring them safely into the land. And they will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you will drop dead in this wilderness. And your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And in this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. 
Yeah, the kids got to go to the promised land, but I'm going to tell you this. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their parents' disobedience. You say, well, that, that don't have anything to do with us today. No, it does. You know why? Because your kids, they're stuck with you. Do you understand that? They have no say in where they live. They have no say in who comes in and out of their home, who you bring in and out of their lives. They have no say in it. You say, oh, that's just a little Bible story. It has nothing to do with today. You, uh, you want an example today? I'll tell you what. Last week I was in Louisiana, right outside of Lafayette, preaching a revival. I did a school assembly during the week on a Tuesday morning. I get to the school, sixth grade to eighth grade, 800 students. I was supposed to do, it was lined up months before. I was supposed to do the entire assembly, all 800 students. I do assembly on bullying. I get there. It's totally secular. I get there. Principal goes, hey, uh, you're only going to do sixth grade today. I go, what? She goes, yeah, you're only going to do sixth grade. She said, and, and I know why. I, I, I mean, I deal with this all the time, so I know what's going on. She's thinking I can't keep their attention, you know, and stuff. And there's too many kids, and there, there'll be no way I can. I said, I can keep their attention, I promise you. She goes, no, you don't understand. These kids are horrible. <laughs> she, she goes, no, no. She goes, hey, you don't understand. Half of these kids, their parents are in jail. She said, the other half of the kids, parents don't care where they are. She said, I'm going to tell you what else. She said, we have fights every day. She said, I had to hire a police officer to be here so when a fight breaks out, he arrests them, takes them to jail. She said, it's every day. Girls fighting girls, guys fighting guys, girls fighting guys. I mean, all of it, all the time, every day. She said, you, you don't understand. I just, I'm, I'm suspending two kids. They're in my office right now because they were having sex in the bathroom and we caught them in the act and I'm, I'm kicking them out, suspending them out of school today. That, that's what's going on. She goes, you may tell you what else? She said, we had four kids right behind the school here in these uh, baseball parks and the dugouts, we had four kids spend the night sleeping in the dugouts because they had nowhere to go. That's the kids we have. I said, well, Dr. G, I've been doing this a long time. And I said, tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I said, I promise you I can keep their attention. And I said, if I can't, I will take you and your entire staff out to Outback Steakhouse on me. She goes, you're on. <laughs> so we have all 800 kids in there. I told them, I don't want them on both sides of the gym. I want them all on one side of the gym. I said, put 7th, 8th grade on the bleachers, put 6th grade on the floor. They go, oh, 6th graders, they won't be able to handle on the floor. They'll get all, I said, no, trust me. Do it every week, put them on the floor. So they put them all on the floor. She gets up to introduce me. She goes, hey, 8th uh, and 7th grade teachers, um, I need to apologize to you. I know I told you uh, y'all weren't coming in this assembly, but just trust me, there is an Outback steak dinner riding on this. <laughs> so you're good. You're, just trust me. So she said, I want to see Ronnie. Hands it over to me. I'm thinking, oh, man. I, I got my work cut out here. So I get up. Kids were awesome. They were perfect. Uh, not a peep out of them. Had an awesome assembly. Teachers loved it. Principals loved it. Get through. Everybody had a good time. Get through. I went up to Dr. G. I said, hey, Dr. G. Oh, you a steak dinner? She goes, you're good. <laughs> Here's the deal. Those kids, they're like that because of their parents. And because of their parents, 
they are paying for it. And they're not learning things. They're not doing And I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's the same thing for us. That's an extreme on, on one side. But here's the deal. There's a bunch of here, people in here. Your kids, because you're not being faithful to God, you're not loving God, they don't know Jesus. And they're not going to hear it their whole life. It's until maybe they get out of your house, out from underneath your roof, and maybe somebody might tell them about Jesus. No. If you don't love Jesus and commit your life to Him and know Him, 92% of the time, your kids won't. That's how important it is. It affects people you love. Well, so the Israelites, they didn't like the consequences of their sin. They didn't like to have, they're going, have to go back out in the wilderness and then die out in the wilderness. They didn't like that. So they're like, hey, uh, we're, we're going to fix this ourselves. We, we don't like the outcome. We don't like con- we're going to fix it ourselves. So what happens, verse 39? When Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Then they got up early the next morning, went to the top of the range of the hills. They said, let's go. They said, we realize that we've all sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. Verse 41. But Moses said, whoa, why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. When you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you'll be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you've abandoned the Lord. Verse 44. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant left the camp. And in verse 45, they got their tails kicked. Here's the deal. You can't fix disobedience with disobedience you get that you you can't fix disobedience with more disobedience on top of it because the question is did israel get it did they get it that they had sinned against god i mean let's let's look at it were were they really repentant um well they said it says they were overcome with grief that's a good thing right um and they acknowledged they were wrong so they're like oh, yeah, we did it, um, and, and we're sorry about it. We're filled with grief. Is that repentance? Is that really repentance? See, he said, and, and then they were ready to go to the land that God originally told them to go to. You would think that would be repentance, right? Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 10. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us uh, to ha- experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But the worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. What what was it that Israel did? Not only did they rebel against God, they doubled down on it. And they said, no, no, we are also going to go into the promised land without God. We don't need God. So they didn't just sin. They kept on because they didn't like the consequences and they wanted to fix their sin. It'd be like a kid, you know, in a, getting his hand in the cookie jar. You told him a thousand times, don't, put, don't get the cookies. And then you leave the room, he goes in there, puts his hand in there, and you come in there and you bust him, you see him? And he's like, he like, oh, I, I tarry, mama, I tarry. Is he tarry? He's he not tarry. He, he tarry, he got caught. He tarry that his tail's going to be whipped. But he ain't tarry, he, got, he ain't tarry about getting a cookie. 
And that's the way we are a lot of times. We go, oh, God, I tarry, I tarry. Hey, you, you want to see tarry? Uh, King David was repentant, asked God for forgiveness, was broken, and obeyed God. It wasn't just like, I'm tarry, God. He was hurt that his relationship with God was hurt. Children of Israel cared nothing about the relationship with God. Because what they want to do? They wanted to go on without God. Hey, let me tell you something. Here's something you need to know. It is better, listen, you need to hear this, and you can apply this to any situation in your life, whatever you're going through right now. It is better to be in the wilderness with God than trying to get in the promised land without Him. Did you hear that? It is better to be in the wilderness with God than trying to get to the promised land without Him. And over and over, we do that in our lives. And we laugh at the children of Israel and say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? But we do the same stuff. Just because they were upset doesn't mean that they were repentant. They were, oh, they had grief. They were, but they were sorry about the consequences, not about their relationship with the Lord. And here's the deal. True repentance is this. Repentance without obedience is empty. If there's no obedience, there's no repentance. So they tried to get the blessing of God without him and by their own salvation, and they got tore up. So what happened? Here's what happened. They go out in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember, the children had to pay for it. So here they are out in the wilderness. Their parents are dropping like flies, dying out in the wilderness for 40 years. Then they have kids. The kids have kids. So they, they come now round two. God brings them back to the promised land, to the Jordan to cross over. So what happens? What do the kids do that the parents didn't do? Watch this. Verse Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. God says this. Now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter to occupy. Verse 17. He says, but if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you are drawn away to serve other uh, and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed and you will not live a long life, a good life, in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. So what did the children say? The children who are now grown adults, that have kids, they said, hey, uh, we've been here before. We, we're obeying God. We're going to do what he says. Let's go. They went in, crossed the Jordan. They conquered every single city, every country, every area that God said, every king that God gave them. God gave them every single piece of dirt he had promised he would give them. They walked out in victory. Two different groups of people. One said no. Others said yes. One ended up wilderness and dead. Others in the promised land. Your choice. Choose life or choose death. He said, Ronnie, I'm a Christian. But man, my faith is weak because I, I, I get afraid a lot about a lot of different stuff. So I know that's because of my unbelief in God. And I, I don't want to be that way. I want to have faith. I want to believe him. What do I do? How do I get my faith stronger? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith, it comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Listen, 
You want to get faith? You want to get stronger in your faith? Get in this word. Know it, love it, obey it. Do what he says. Not, don't, don't just hunt and pick out the things that you like. Oh, I like that one. I don't like that one. Do every single thing he says. He's, God is not a, a buffet, a spiritual buffet. You can just pick and choose. He says, do what I say. And then here's what Joshua said in Joshua 1.8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. That's good news. That's a promise from God. Guess what? I'm going to bank on it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to do it. And I've done it all my life. And I'm going to tell you, he's been faithful to me. Does that mean I've been perfect all my life? No, sir. So, so then what happens when, you don't, when you're not faithful? When you lack faith or something happens? You want to hear some more good news? 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, because I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm a human. I mess up just like the children of Israel did. But here's the deal. I'm kind of like David. And then if anything happens between me and God, man, I want that rectified. I do not want God to take his presence from me, his Holy Spirit. From me. I, want, I want to go wherever he goes. I don't care where it is. That's where I want to be. You say, Ronnie, you're saying God will forgive me? Oh, yes, he will. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. You say, how? Confess your sins to him. Ask for forgiveness. Name them. Call them out. Not just acknowledge. They acknowledge. Not just grieve. They were grieved. No. But obey. Turn from it. Repent of it. Do what he says. Somebody said, but Ronnie, I, I don't even have a relationship with God. I don't, I don't even know him. Dude, I'm just in church, just checking this out. I, never, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, I want you to know this. You cannot rescue yourself. Did you, did, you, did you hear that? You can't rescue yourself. And that's good news. Because I'm going to tell you something. Children of Israel, they messed up over and over and over and over again. Because guess what? They couldn't obey the law. They couldn't do every single thing the law said and, and live a perfect life. That's why God sent his son Jesus out of heaven, down this earth, to die on a cross, to pay for every single one of our sins. And if we are here and we're willing to admit that he did that for us, that not only did he die on the cross, he was buried and he rose again. If we're willing to admit to God, yes, I cannot do it. I cannot save myself. I need you to save me. And you did it through your son. So God, would you please forgive me my sin? God, I turn from my sin and I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, my Savior. If you believe what God says, Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He said he's the only way to heaven. He said, you know, I, I've never done that before. I've joined a church. I've been baptized as a baby kid, something like that. But, man, I, I've never committed my life to Christ. I've never gone all in with him. If you want to do that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Whether you're watching online, whether you're here in this auditorium, you say, I, I need to do that. Then I'm going to pray that prayer. And right where you're seated, you can pray with me and invite the creator of this universe into your life, and he will change you forever just like he did me. Because I'm going to tell you this. I'm not blowing smoke. Jesus, he's real. He really changed me. He could do the same thing for you. And if you want to, you could pray that same prayer that I prayed and invite him into your life and let him change you. Can you do me a favor? Can you give me two minutes? Nobody get up. Nobody leave. Say, Ron, that's me. I need to do this. And I want you to pray that prayer with me right now. So with heads bowed, eyes closed.
Say, Ronnie, I want to do that. I want to invite Jesus into my life. Then you pray that prayer with me right now, right where you're seated. If you've never done this before, pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And God, I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Ronnie, man, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. I just invited Jesus to come to my life. If you just pray that prayer with me, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. If you're here this morning, you say, Ronnie, that's me. I prayed that prayer. Would just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me right now? Let me catch your eyes. Say, Ronnie, that's me. I prayed that prayer. Just look up and say, Ronnie, I did that. But yes, ma'am, right here. Yes, sir. Yes, right here. In the back. Got you, buddy. You must in this section right here. So, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. Over here in this section right here. I just prayed that prayer. Okay, over here in this section. Right through here. Yes, sir. You must through here. Yes, sir. Got you, sweetie. Yes, sir. You must through here. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Over here. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Got you, buddy. Over here. Anybody else? Got you, buddy. Anyone else? All right. With just those that prayed that prayer, just keep looking up just for a second. I'm not going to come to embarrass you. I just want to share something with you from the Word of God. Just those that prayed the prayer. I want you to know this. According to what the Bible says, not what Ronnie Hill says, according to what the Bible says, God has forgiven you of everything you have ever done today if you repented of your sins and believed in Him. That's what He says. And not only that, it says He's come to live in you and He'll never leave you. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He wants you to experience life abundantly, not just getting by, not just going through life. He wants you to experience it to the full. So, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? The Bible says that we're to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. We're to let everybody know. Say, so how do I do that? We want to help you grow spiritually and start your spiritual journey because you start a spiritual journey with God today. Say, so how do I do that? Up on the screen, you'll see a Q code or you can see a... Um, number right there. You can text it. If you're online, you can do the same thing uh, online as well. But just text it. Just say, text saved. That you prayed that prayer. You say, what are we going to do? We're just going to send you some information. We're not going to be hounding you and stuff like that. We want to help you grow spiritually. So if you don't have a Bible, we want to get you a Bible, help you start growing spiritually. Uh, we want to, you know, show, if you got a church, we're encouraging you to go back to your church. If you don't, you want to be a part here, we'd love to have you here. But you need to start growing spiritually. Get your family in church, you in church. And, uh, and growing, because that's what we're here to help, help you do, okay? I'm excited for you, and um, this is the greatest decision of your whole life, okay? Would you do me a favor? Would everybody bow their heads and close their eyes one more time? There's one more group of people I want to talk to, and that's those of you who are believers. You say, Ronnie, I have been struggling in my belief. Not about that I believe there's a God. I know there's a God. I, I have a relationship with Him. But Ronnie, believing in Him to do what he says, obeying him, believing he's big enough to take care of me and my family. Whatever the issue is, whatever God spoke to you about, you said, Ronnie, I'm struggling with that, and I want to grow in my faith. I want to get stronger in my faith. Ronnie, would you pray for me 
that I'll take care of that today, that I'll confess that sin, and that I'll start obeying and doing what he says. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, and you would like for me to pray for you about that, would you look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Got you, buddy. Yes, ma'am. This couple here. Yes, ma'am, right here. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Over here. Got this couple here, right here. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Anybody else over in this section? Over here. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's you, buddy. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Right here. Yes, ma'am. Over here. Yes, ma'am. Here. Here. Got you here, here, here. Yes, sir. That's the section over here in the back. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Right there. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Hey, I want you to know what I, what I can uh, quote it earlier is that God is faithful. He will forgive you. And what I want you to do today, and it might take several days, it might take several weeks, when God brings something up in your life in remembrance about where you were not believing Him, you were not faithful in that, confess it, ask God for forgiveness, and, and then turn from that. Do something about it and obey Him. If it, I don't care what it is, whether it's tithing and you haven't been doing that, whether it's uh, he, you need to be involved in the church and you're not, or or maybe uh, he spoke to you about you getting your baptism or you haven't been scripturally baptized since you've been saved. What, whatever the issue is, maybe you haven't been a faithful husband or, or wife, whatever the issue is, say, God, I'm going to obey you. God, please forgive me for this area. And then do something about it. Obey. Okay? Don't be just like the Israelites. and go, uh-uh, I'm sorry, God, but no, do something about it. Okay? And if you do, he says he'll forgive you. He'll restore you. I like Joel chapter 2. It says, he'll restore the years the locusts have eaten. That's good news. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for all these that trust the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, you plant that seed in fertile soil. And you raise them up to be godly, mature followers of you. And get them plugged into this church or if they, if they go somewhere else into another church. Father, for those that are believers and that are struggling uh, with their faith, I pray, God, that you strengthen their faith, that they will not doubt you. They will be 100% all in with you on every single thing you say and obey you immediately and instantly because we know you have our best interest in mind. We know that you know better than we do about anything that we're going through or any decision. So, God, we trust you with our lives because you are faithful and you have never let us down, and we know you never will. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.